Thanks again for being here today. Um, I said earlier, my name is Jeremy, and I'm the campus pastor of our Canton campus. We have two campuses from Mount Perrin North, one in Marietta, one here in Canton. And uh, I'm given the awesome privilege to um, to speak um, here uh, most weeks, two or three, four times a month. And it's uh, I've said this before, and I, I seem to have said it more recently, and I don't know why, because I've always felt this, but there's just such a weight. It's not a bad weight. It's just such a weight as I wrestle with God's Word and prepare to present it to you. Um, I love it. I, I, the reason that I believe that I'm called to ministry, we talked about this this past week during the week, is because I just if I know that I'd be miserable doing anything else. Um, but there's such a weight. And so this week's topic this that we're going to talk about is, is a weighty subject. It's not, it's not an easy subject. It's not something that we can just kind of glaze over. We've been kind of strategically, very intentionally walking through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And it's a great letter. It's a great text. And, and we've been doing that all year long. And we're now kind of coming to the end of Ephesians chapter 4 and going into chapter 5. And as we chose to do a study like this, what this did for us is it it really kind of forced us, not that we needed it, but it forced us to really deal with what the text says. You know, you can choose to preach or teach anything in God's word. And you could do that just by going, okay, what do I want to talk about this week? I want to talk about, you know, breaking bread. All right, well, there's got to be a couple scriptures in here about breaking bread. So we're going to do that. I'm going to find those scriptures and I'm just going to choose the ones that help me to say what I want to say. And you can, you can choose to preach that way. But the way that we've chosen to do this is by just selecting one text, one, one book, one letter here. And I feel like Ephesians is getting further back in my Bible here. Have I been flipping for like half an hour? But um, we've, we've chosen to kind of go to the book of Ephesians and just walk through that, that book, that letter. And so by doing it this way, when, when we come to a passage here, a, a portion of the text that really requires a response from us, then, then you have two choices. You can look at that text and go, okay, I don't want to deal with that. And then just just be like, okay, and now we're going to skip to verse whatever. And you, unless you just read along with me, you don't even know what I skipped. Or we can choose to let God's word speak for itself, walk through it together in community with one another, wrestle with what that text says to us and our lives, what it really kind of calls for out of a response of the way that we should live, and 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 then attempt to walk out of this room, out of this space, and live that out. And that's where we're at today. We're going to read maybe more scripture than we've read collectively in one setting since we launched uh, nine or ten months ago now. And, and so we're going to do that. But today we're talking about habits. We're talking about the habits that we have in our lives. And, you know, habits are funny things. I mean, it can be as small as, you know, what part of your body do you wash first when you put soap in your hands in the shower? Like, I don't know why, but I put soap in my hands and then I go here. I'm not, I don't know why. It's, it's like a first down. I'm not sure what, this is a maneuver or something. Like, I don't know why I do this. But I mean, I've thought about it since someone asked me a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah, well, what's just the first thing you do when you put soap in your Um, I don't know why. I don't know. Nobody ever taught me that. And then I go here, right? Not sure why. Then I go here. I was asking my wife, Corey, and she's like, I go here. I avoid belly at all costs. Like, I just, I don't like to even think about this region here. I heard a comedian say one time that he just had different weight loss goals than other people. You know, they want to get ripped abs. He just wants his belly not to jiggle when he brushes his teeth. And I'm working on that. That's kind of a life goal for me. 
Um, so I don't, I, you know, I have a habit. I just, I go here with soap first. I don't know why. Um, do you eat the French fries first or the burger first, or do you kind of mix between? I, I've sat with people who don't even unwrap the burger. They eat all the fries then they're done with that. And then they eat the burger. I've seen people that do it backwards. And I've seen people that dip their fries at Wendy's in a frosty. I guess that's having your cake and eating it too. I don't understand that, but that's, that's, you know, that's some random weird kind of habits. Which shoe do you put on first in the morning? You ever thought about it? Which do you do it the same every day? I do right shoe first, left shoe next. I don't know why, but I, I always go right, left. I'm not sure why, which, which pant leg do you pull up first? Or do you try to like sit down and scoot them on at the same time? That's just, it's a habit. It's not really like a life altering life defining habit, but if you do it different than that, you notice like I do, I don't know why, but that's, that's why I do it. And, and, and the, the, some of the things that I kind of read, I just looked up habits that people have just weird, quirky habits. Do you know, and some of you are going to feel indicted here. Do you know one out of every 10 people in the entire world has a Facebook account? That's ridiculous. Um, but do you know that half of them check Facebook within the first few minutes of the day, like before they leave their house? And do you know that 28% of all people that have Facebook accounts check their Facebook news feed while still in bed? 28%. Now, I'm not good with math, but that's a lot of people. All right. So that means about two or three of every person on the globe before they get up goes, I wonder if anybody said anything interesting between 12 and six. (laughs) Right. It's just a weird habit. It's just something that people do. And so I looked up and I decided, okay, what is the word habit? Because, you know, I've, I've named some weird, quirky ones. And then there's some, some bigger ones. Habit is a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that's hard to give up. A settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that's hard to give up. So some of the ones I've said, they're not that difficult, maybe. If you tried to give it up, like, I'm just going to quit washing my left arm first. I'm, I'm going to be able to do that tomorrow. I'm going to try right arm first. That's what we're going to do. I, I don't think that's going to be especially difficult, but you know what habits really are? Psychologists would tell us that habits are external expressions to compensate or cope with, or to not have to, to deal with something going on internally. Okay. So I don't want to psychoanalyze you if you're part of the 28%, but there are some studies being done now that people who check Facebook statuses in bed, not indicting you if you do this, okay? Are losers. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. That was a different note later. I don't know. No. Studies are saying right now that people that check Facebook first in the morning or check it more than 10 times during the day are really compensating for their internal loneliness. They, they don't have human interaction maybe to, to kind of quench that desire to have relationship and connection. And so they're looking to their social networks and social media to give them the sense that they're, they're connected to the lives of other people. So they know that I went to Wendy's and dipped my fries in Frosties because I posted that. And so now they know that. They, they get some sense about what's going on in other people's lives. So it is a habit that they have, but really it's to address something else going on inside of them. 
They, you know, they bite their fingernails or they, they pick at something that, that's really to, to compensate for some anxiety or nervousness or, or something like that. There's other things that we do just out of boredom. Now, again, I don't want to psychoanalyze everything. I don't know that there's any internal specific reason that I wash my left arm first. Maybe there is. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But but psychologists do tell us that habits are most often formed as an external expression of something that's going on inside of us. And so if you think about the things that you do, the habits that you have, maybe, maybe they are very small and it's which shoe you put on first. That's not maybe compensating for some missing piece in your life. But as we look to some bigger habits, we look to some big things in our lives and we look at, you know, the, the, some of the habits that turn into addictions in our lives. What's that compensating for? What's that addressing? What things is that really trying to cover up inside of us? Are you addicted to caffeine? Coffee. I'm not going to preach at that. I know I'd get booed off the stage. All right, I got that. You, you addicted? You, you got that habit that I've got to have this, or my day can't start, or I've got to have it so many times, or can't make it through the day? Are you, do you have some habit of, of smoking, drinking? You have some habit that's related to lust, pornography. What kind of habits do we have that sometimes no one else knows about, or maybe others do, but we have these habits that turn into larger issues because there are things going on inside of us that sometimes we don't want to deal with. We don't want to address those things externally by like having conversation about them. And so what we do is we create some external mechanism, some external expression that covers up or, or causes us to feel like we don't have to deal with the internal things in our lives. And so today we're going to just kind of walk through a piece of text here, beginning in Ephesians chapter four, verse 25, if you've got your Bible. And, we, and I, I make no promises here. This may take us a little while to kind of walk through this. But the reason that I tell you that is we're going to go almost literally verse by verse from verse 25 of chapter four into chapter five, all the way to maybe verse 19 or 20. And we're just going to kind of walk through about 30, 25 or 30 verses of Scripture and just kind of, we'll stop along the way and talk a little bit. But instead of me deciding, okay, I'm going to address only the pieces of this text that I am comfortable addressing, I feel like we're just going to let the text speak for itself. Let God's Word stand on its own and see what it says. Let's begin reading in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another. The New Living Translation says we belong to each other. Let, let you speak truth with your neighbor for we belong to each other. You know a habit that some people have is they cannot tell the truth. I mean, it's, it's like when, when they get confronted, when, when they, they're afraid they're going to get in trouble or they're going to get caught or how is this going to look on me? How is this going to reflect on me? How is this going to impact the relationships that I have? Lying just comes out naturally as, a, as an overcompensation for not being able to tell the truth because you, you didn't live up to the expectation. You didn't. We talked a little bit about that last week. We didn't do what we said we were going to do. We did something we know we shouldn't have done. Um, and so now we're speaking falsehood to our brother instead of speaking truth to our brother, to our neighbor. And really what Paul's saying right here is there's no reason to do that. If you are living in sincere and genuine community with other people, I shouldn't be worried that I'm going to let them down. 
They already know that I'm flawed and, and, and imperfect. And so me speaking the truth says I value this relationship enough to tell you the truth. And I trust that you value me and love me enough to receive my truth, even though it's going to not meet the expectations that we said, or you know I'm better than that, or I shouldn't have done that, or I should have done what I told you I was going to do. And, and, and you're, going to be, you're going to be kind of upset with me, or you're going to be disappointed in me, but I'm going to speak the truth, and we're going to let that stand where it may, and now we're going to deal with the issue. Instead, I'm going to cover it up, I'm going to tell you a falsehood, I'm going to tell you a lie, I'm not going to tell the truth, I'm going to shade the truth, I'm going to tell you part of the truth. And, and, and doing that, I'm going to kind of hope that I don't have to deal with it right now. Because you may find out about it later, but maybe it won't cost me as much later. Let me just tell you, it's probably going to cost you more later. Speak the truth to your neighbor because we belong to each other. Verse 26, we read this last week, so I'm just going to kind of work through this quickly. But we read these verses last week. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We talked about that last week, just, just responding to your anger. There's a natural emotion in you of anger, and that's okay. You can be angry. It says be angry and don't sin. So there's an uh, implication here that you can be angry. If I broke that, I'm sorry. But there's an implication here that you can be angry. The idea is that I'm going to respond to that anger, to that emotion in healthy ways. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal but rather him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let the thief no longer steal. Now, there's an interesting part here, like, let the thief no longer steal. There's an idea that we're labeling the person as a thief. This is who he is, what he does. And we're saying, okay, even though you are that, don't do this thing that caused you to get this label. Like, you wear the, you know, the scarlet T, thief, right? This is you. This is your identity, but don't do that thing. There, there is something that Paul's saying here that even though your identity is connected to who you were because of what you did, do those things no more. Which connects well to a story that Jesus kind of had in, in the Gospels. There was a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. She was brought to Jesus. The religious leaders wanted to stone her to death. And Jesus, who came, according to John 14, 14, 6, full of grace and truth, doesn't respond in the way that, that the religious leaders wanted him to. And maybe some of us would want him to, because guess what? She was actually guilty and worthy of punishment. And instead of Jesus allowing for her to be stoned and maybe even participating in that, instead he says to her, go and sin no more after her accusers had turned away. Go and sin no more. You who were guilty are guilty of this thing that you've done in the past. Now do something different with the actions of your lives. The external expression of your life. Let it be something different than what you've been known by. We're guilty in our culture of labeling people based on what they've done in their past. And that's, that's the label they have forevermore in our minds and our hearts. There's Bob. You know, he's the alcoholic. There's Sue. She had an affair on her husband. There's so and so. I mean, you just go through the list and we just label people based on their worst indiscretion or this issue or habit or sinful thing that they did in their past. Or maybe it was just something crazy or weird or what you know, they shouldn't have done. And we're, we label them under the guise of this kind of thing. Hey, that's who they are. No, that's what they did. That's not who they are in Christ. Let's continue to move on. Verse 30. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk Come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion 
that it may give grace to those who hear. The New Living Translation, again, says it a little differently. It says, don't use foul or abusive language. And this is difficult. Have you ever thought about all of the words that you use in a day? The things that you say, the things that you do with, you, with, with your, your words. Is, is, is it words that are foul? Is it words that are abusive? Is it words that build up? Is it words that encourage or is it words that tear down? The idea being here, and we referenced it earlier, if we're community, if we're, if we're a body of people, but not just in this room, but as it relates to the human race, if there's something connecting all of us, how do my words help to knit us together or tear us apart? Don't use foul or abusive words. Don't let corrupt talk be a part of your speech. Don't let it even come out of your mouth, but only what's good for building up others. And so as it relates to our habits, some of us, we struggle to really use our words to build others up. We, we struggle not, not to maybe on the sly kind of say things that really they're tearing them down. They're making them feel bad. They're making them feel like we've talked about this the last two weeks, but making them feel like they, they don't meet our expectations. They don't do what's right. They haven't done what's right. And so we don't build them up. We don't encourage them. We don't say, hey, here's what I see in you and identify in you that's healthy that I want to, you to know that I affirm that in you. Instead, we don't take the 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 or 95% of their lives that are good and positive and growing and healthy. We nitpick the one or two things that kind of help position them under us. We say something so that they know we're better than them. Oh, look at what you did. Look at what you do. So we have this abusive and foul language, this corrupt talk that, that comes out of our mouths so that others know, hey, I'm better than you. I didn't make that mistake. I didn't do that thing. You should know that I don't value you as much as I value myself. The habit that we have is to use our words to tear down rather than to build up. Words say a lot about us, and they say a lot about our heart. And so as we kind of work through this today, my question is, what do, what do people see about you and in you by the words that you choose to use on a daily basis? Verse 30, and we're going to read a, a large chunk of text here. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. The NIV translation quotes, uh, changes the, the wording here in verse 3 that says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. There's a lot of meat in that passage. But let's just center on verse 3 for a moment. There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or, or anything improper or impure or of greed. I want, you to, I want you to just think back over the last week, last seven days, since we gathered together last weekend. Maybe you didn't commit some big, grandiose, grand, great sin. You didn't... You didn't, you know, do the terrible deed of, of, of cheating and stealing money from your business. You didn't embezzle. You didn't cheat on your spouse. You didn't have an affair. 
You didn't do something that was completely immoral or impure. But is there anything that you could look at in your life over the last seven days that is a hint of some of that? You didn't embezzle money, but you, you kind of you fixed the books a little. You, you just cleaned it up a little bit so that there wouldn't be as many questions. You didn't, you didn't do anything illegal, but why waste the time? Because we can answer for it anyway. I'm just going gonna, gonna to show what we intended to do instead of what we actually did. That's a hint right there. I didn't, I didn't cheat on my spouse. I didn't go that far. I didn't, I didn't cross over the line of something that was so impure and so improper, and it was sexual immorality. I didn't get there. But I had a really flirtatious conversation with somebody that's not my spouse. That's a hint. Like I didn't do like the big worst possible thing that I could do. I didn't do one of the big 10 commandments that I know I'm not supposed to do. I didn't covet any. But I had a hint of something. I mean, that's a pretty big statement right there. Do not let there be even a hint not, not a hint of anything sexually immoral, anything impure, anything involving greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. I mean, what I heard this said last year. I, I loved it. It stuck with me. What might you be doing right now that you hope and pray to God that no one ever finds out? It's not sin. It's not enough to keep you out of heaven, maybe. But you pray to God, nobody finds out you're doing it. That's a hint. It's a hint for you, probably, of the hint of something that needs to be addressed. It may not be sin. It may not be this catastrophic life choice in you. But it could be enough of a hint that even though it's not sin now, it will. It will be. Continue reading. Verse 4. Let's go back to the way we talk. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. We referenced this already, but looking at the way we talk, looking at the things that we do. Who are we lifting up, building up by some of the things that we say and share with one another? Looking at that. Let's read another large chunk of text here, okay? For you may, verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and impure, and impure or who covets, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This is kind of a a metric that I use in my life a good bit. I don't necessarily 
And I'm not trying to set myself up today as perfect. I make a lot of mistakes. But this is, a, this is a passage here. This one verse in verse 15 is a piece of text that I use a lot. Because I don't necessarily just ask, is this sin? My wife and I talk a lot about things that may or may not be sin, but they're unwise. It's in this moment that if I choose to do this, I'm not like breaking the covenant that I have with God. But I'm making an unwise decision that ultimately could cost me more than I'm wanting to pay by this one little decision in this moment. It's just unwise. So be careful then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit The English Standard Version says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Now, I'm not going to get on a soapbox at all. This is not an alcohol message. We talk about wisdom and understanding and trying to make wise decisions. You have to understand this, okay? Drunkenness is wrong every time, okay? There's enough support in Scripture. Let's go have that conversation. I'm not going to talk to you about having a glass of wine with dinner. You have that conversation with yourself. You want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. I'm not going to condemn you to hell. I can't. Scripture doesn't support that for me. But drunkenness is wrong every single time. And the reason that it's wrong is because now we have allowed something to control us that has no right to control us. And the reason that that's important is because in Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we see the story of God creating man, creating Adam and Eve after he had created the earth. And he says to Adam, you have dominion over the earth. You have dominion over the things that are planted in the ground. You have dominion over the animals of the, uh, of the fields. You have dominion over this. But when we allow the things of the ground, the drugs and alcohol and all the other things that come out of the ground to control us, we give dominion to those things over us. We invert the story. We say, in our own paraphrase, what Adam did. Yes, God, you gave me an entire garden. But I'm going to choose the one thing you said I couldn't have in the apple. Because everything else that you've given me is not enough. Now again, this is not me getting on a soapbox. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear what I am saying. Okay? When we allow things like this to control our lives, it is sinful. It's wrong. At the very least, it's unwise. At the very worst, it's sin in our lives. And that's an important truth for us to understand. It's important because Scripture told us, we just dealt with it a few weeks ago, that our lives are to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And when we allow anything else in our lives that's going to control us, then we lose the ability for the Spirit of God to control us. Now, I've had conversations... Too numerous to count with a lot of people about a lot of things. And the conversation, well, yeah, but what about people that, you know, that, that are addicted to coffee? They got to have it. Yeah, great. I'm with you. What about people that, you know, they eat too much and they, they can't, you know, quench that? Yeah, it's great too. Agree with that. To me, it's not about a specific issue. It's about the motivation of that issue. What is it that I'm opening myself up to giving control over me to? That's the issue for me. But if I'm talking about how to live as wise and not as unwise, that there may be something that I take part in that is not sin. And I'm totally, I I get that. 
But it could be that I'm opening myself up to something that absolutely is sin. And the frame of reference that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount is he said, listen, you've got a set of laws here that you're trying to keep that says don't commit adultery. I say, don't even open the door to that. Don't lust after a woman who's not your wife. He's saying, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. I'm saying, don't even get close to murder because if you have hate in your heart, you've gone too far. And so the question for me is not, how far can I go down this path without breaking my covenant with God or making some terribly irreversible decision? No, my, my question today is, before I get there, what's that initial decision that I can avoid that closes off this entire avenue of falling away from God? Okay, let's jump back into the text. Verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Not every habit that we have is sinful or detrimentally life-altering in any way. I get that. I wash my left arm first every day in the shower. Okay? I don't think that's sinful. Don't think that's going to alter my life in some irreversible, detrimental way. So we, we get that. Not every habit is. But today, as we look at the idea of habits that hurt us, the question is not, does biting my fingernails, which may or may not be covering up anxiety or nervousness, does that make me a bad person? The question is not, if I forward the really funny, albeit kind of inappropriate joke to my coworkers, am I going to hell? Okay? That's not the question. The question is not any of the things that we've addressed specifically as it relates to any individual issue. That is not the question. The question today, and, and, I, and I just I put it here and it's bolded if you could see my notes so that I would not miss this. Here is the question today that you have to ask. Does the way that I live my life reflect the work of Christ in me? I mean, we walked through this passage here and we read several references about letting the light shine in and through us. We read portions of this text that talked about, you know, being wise and not unwise. We read where it says that we should find out what pleases the Lord and do that. But the question, the ultimate bottom line question for every one of us today has to come back to this. Does the way that I live reflect the work of Christ in We started this series three weeks ago. Pastor Mark, our senior pastor for both of our Mount Perrin locations, he, um, he was here and he read from Ephesians 4, verse 17 through verse 24. And he just kind of walked through that text and really helped us to see the life change that is possible through Jesus Christ. I want to go back to the last portion of that text in Ephesians 4. And I want to read it from the message translation. The message is... a. Uh, a version of scripture that was, was just recently added to our understanding of scripture and culture just in the last decade or so. And this is just a great, um, just narrative kind of way that scripture can lay out. And this is what it says, beginning in verse 20. We'll read five verses together. Talking about the old way of life, the old things that you were in your past. That's, this, is what, this is what Paul says. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him being well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance, everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. 
It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. As God accurately reproduces his character in you. When I read that, I come up with one sentence. I want God's character in me. I want God's character in me. I want God's character in you. So how do I get it? How do I get the character of God to be formed and shaped in my life? The first step is I got to get rid of all the stuff that was a part of my old life so that I make room for God to shape and form in me all that can and should be. But we read this in Ephesians 5 just a moment ago. I'm going to ask the band to come. This is what it says in Ephesians 5 verses 10 and 11. It says, try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, but instead rebuke and expose them. Find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, rebuke and expose them. I'll I'll paraphrase for you. This is the Jeremy translation, okay? It may not make sense to anybody else. This is how it makes sense to me. Rebuke and expose, those are big words. You know what they mean? Uncover and call it what it is. To expose something is to bring it to light, to bring it out in the open. The problem with some of our habits and the problem that we had, what we understand that psychologists are kind of telling us about these external expressions and manifestations of our habits is that they're actually kind of overcompensating for something that's inside of us. And so the question today is, what is it on the inside of us that I may need to get out in the open and expose? And then once I get it out there, I can't attempt to justify it and say, yeah, but it's not that bad. Or, yeah, but it's not really that. Or, yeah, but what about that over there? What about those people? No, I've got to look at the thing that I just exposed and I got to call it what it is. Now, I don't know what you call that. Because I don't know what your thing is that you're exposing. What it is that you're unearthing in your life. I don't know what you're uncovering. But there may be something inside of you that you just bring out. You let the Lord do the work in you. And you bring that out and you expose it to the light. That may look a lot of different ways. It may be telling a trusted companion. I need you to know what's been going on on the inside of me. It may be some other public, you know, be careful with this, okay? I'm not telling you to go post this on Facebook, right? But it may be finding some public venue with which you expose something that, that's kind of been this secret and, and, and this hurt or this painful thing or this, this overcompensating thing or this sinful thing. Finding a way to get that from the inside of you to the outside of you. And saying, hey, I, I need you to know what's going on inside of me. And then when you get it out there, you identify it for what it is. Again, that doesn't, that doesn't require you to look at anybody else's issues. Just look at you. Look to him. Say, God, would you help me here? This was in the dark for a while. It doesn't, it doesn't smell really nice. <laughs> it doesn't look really nice. But this is me. This is a part of me here. What do you call that? What, what can I call that? 
Like, what is it that you identify that thing is? And I need to call it that too. Because if it's sinful, if it breaks covenant with you, if it doesn't create and stir up and shape and mold your character in me, I want to I get rid of it. It's probably a part of the old me that your word tells me to, to get rid of. So I've got to uncover it and I've got to call it what it is. Now, here's the problem, okay? We've, we've talked about the question. The question is, does my life and the way that I live reflect the work of Christ in me? We've talked about the desire that we have to allow the character of God to be in me and, and to work through me. But here's the problem, okay? If you're anything like me, any habit that you have now or have ever had that you know is against the will and the ways of God, what you've attempted to do is fix the external expression of that habit. Okay, I'll use an example we all know. If this is something that you struggle with, I'm in no way making light of it. But if your external habit, expression, whatever, is smoking, right? We try to quit smoking. We wear a patch, we chew gum, we go to meetings, we whatever. We, there's something that we're trying to do to fix the external expression of that habit. Okay? But my, my, my kind of advice to you today is don't start with the external. Look inside your heart. For any issue, any habit, anything that you think is hurting you or you're not sure that it's hurting you, but you know when you match it up to God's word, it doesn't fit. There's no way that it stays inside of you if you want God's character to be built in you. So don't start on the external. Don't try to fix the issue yet because you've tried to fix the issue before. You've tried to stop. You've you've done the steps. You've avoided it. You've ignored it. Start inside. Start here. And say, God... Start in my heart. What is it inside of me that doesn't reflect you? And and let's deal with that. Can we work on that first? Because as I grow in your character, as I reflect you more and more on the inside of me, I just have enough faith to believe that the outside of me will begin to look more and more like the character and nature of God. Right? I learned this in children's church, so if this is just too cliche or juvenile for you, I'm sorry, but it makes, it makes sense in my head. If I plant an apple seed, you plant apple seeds, right? You do that? I don't know if you do or not, but if I plant an apple seed, I'm not going to get a watermelon. Right? If, if, if I put away the things of God inside of me, then the things that come out of me have to reflect that. things that I put inside of me externally reflect the work of God inside of me. Now, if my hope and my heart is to fix the external things so that nobody sees my issues, but I never deal with this, it's just, it's going to be hard. I'm going to now live a double life. I'm going to be untrue and unfaithful to those around me. And I'm, I'm going to attempt to cover up all the stuff, but it's still inside of me. Start here. Begin working with God here. And then allow the rest to take care of itself. Now, I probably don't, and some of you may get on to me after church for even saying this phrase. This is the way I'm wired, okay? Nothing that I said today should convict you, condemn you, make you feel bad. Nothing. Everything that I said 
is, is me talking. Any, anything that I read from here is the thing that does the convicting. Like when I'm talking and I'm looking at you and I'm staring out here, this is me in my best attempt not to manipulate the word of God, but to, to let it speak what it says and to tell you what I think it says and to tell you what it's speaking to me and in my heart. When I open up God's word and I read to you the words of God, that's what does the work. So if as I've read God's word to you today, you believe, God, you're, you're wanting to do something in me. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes. We don't have to do that. And in a perfect world, we wouldn't do that. But just in this moment to honor you and to honor the work that God is doing in this moment, I'm going to ask everybody to close your, close your eyes, bow your head. Nobody's looking around. If you're part of our prayer team, our altar ministry team, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. If you're part of this, this ministry team that we have, I'm going to ask you to come to the front because we're going to open the altars in just a moment and give people a chance to respond. If today as you sit where you're sitting and you've been sitting there for a while and you've listened to me, if you say, you know what, I... I'm not really sure all the things I got going on in my life. I'm not sure all the internal or external things I got going on. I'm not sure that everything that I'm doing externally is covering up or compensating for things internally. But man, I I know that as I listen today, there's some things in my heart that do not reflect the nature of God. I just know it. There there are things that I've kept for myself in, in previous moments where I was giving things to God. I kept this for myself. Or you say, you know what, I've never really had this opportunity. I've never really allowed God to do the work in my heart and my life. And so I've got a lot of stuff in here that I just need to get out in the open. And I need to call it what it is. I need to expose it. If that's you today, while you're sitting there and no one else is looking around, I want you to stand up. I know I've got some pieces of my heart and my life that do not reflect the character and nature of God. I want you to stand right now. Nobody's looking around. You can stand right where you're at. We're going to pray in just a moment. You're saying, listen, there's some things in me I know don't reflect the nature of God. Again, this is not like I'm damning you to hell forever and eternity. I'm saying we're in this journey together. This is a community of people. We gather together weekly to to look to God's word and to discern what it is that God is speaking and saying to us. And so in this moment now, I'm saying if you know as you've listened to God's word today, that there's some stuff that you've got inside of you that you've got to get out of you. Stand up. We'll wait just another moment. There's, there's people standing all over the room. We'll wait just another moment. Nobody's looking around. They're going to honor you right now by, by just kind of prayerfully looking at their own heart and their own lives. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come on right now. Come on down to the front. Now, if you're standing, when Justin and Lance and these guys, when they start playing and singing, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. Now, let me just give you a clear understanding of this. When you step out of your seats, that's not the work of God. The work of God is as you search your heart and give those things to him, you can do that where you're standing. You can do that while you're sitting in your seats. But we're giving a moment here just for you to visually, publicly respond and join with other people in prayer. These, these, these folks here that are standing here, they, they trust God. They believe God. They want to pray with you, join with you in, in prayer about what it is that's going on in your life. So as they start singing, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. If you're still sitting in your seats, you don't get off the hook, okay? You're still sitting there, that's okay. 
You're sitting there for one of two reasons. You just don't believe there's anything in your life that doesn't reflect the character and nature of God or you don't want to stand up and that's okay. Either one of them. Those are great, all right? But I want you, as you sit there and as they sing this song, to listen to the words of the song, reflect over the truths of Scripture and I want you to search your heart and say, okay, God, what is it that I need to do to better reflect your character and nature that you want to birth in me? And then we'll come back and close together. As they sing, come to the front. God, I thank you that you do the work. I prayed that several times with several people that I had the opportunity to pray with. I thank you that you do the work. This is not something that we concoct and we attempt to do in our own devices here, but you do the work. You bring freedom. And so, God, I pray right now that the habits that hurt us, the habits that are sinful, the things in our lives that we do externally that really are are betraying well, we think we're covering up, but they're betraying some, some hard issues. God, would you do the work in our hearts and lives today? Continue the work for some of us. Begin the work anew for some of us. But God, do the work. Give us the strength to follow you, to make the tough decisions. But God, you do the work. We thank you for that. And God, we're believing for incredible testimonies of your work of grace in our lives. God, bottom line, let us live in ways that reflect your character. Let the way that we live reflect your nature every day. I thank you that you do the work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.